Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. Welcome to What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. How are you doing, Peter? Oh, I feel like I need to be developed. (laughs) Right now, we are podcasting in the middle of the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, and we are doing it over Zoom. Um, and And I feel like I need to be developed. We all need to be developed during this time. It's it's definitely different. It's not going to be the same afterwards. And um, yeah, what what's your general feel, Peter? Yeah, well, when you talk about Delta, we're all being forced to change and to, mm-hmm. we're calling it the pivot because all of the high touch, face-to-face instruction that we prided ourselves on in health professions education is not possible right now. Mm-hmm. And yet the urgency for seeing our learners through to the end of their programs into the workforce could not be greater. So we can't pause and wait for a time to go back to traditional learning. We've got to keep our objectives intact, but deliver it through a new modality. I love this idea of pivot. I mean, I just feel like the pandemic, um, you know, forced in a way a reformulation of things that were going to occur over the next 10 years, but would have been slow to occur. And here we are, I'm kind of speeding up a necessary change, Um, maybe not completely necessary, but the fact that we have the ability to do what we're doing today and have never, some of us have never used it. um, It's just, it's been very interesting. I'm I'm very interested to know what life is going to be like and what healthcare education is going to be like after on the other side. Yeah. And we've had some of those check-ins with our faculty and staff who are supporting students through this transition. Mm -hmm. And one of the lessons so far, Janice, has been this external factor has pushed us to do things that we should have been doing all along or or have been meaning to get to, but it wasn't quite as timely as it is now. And I, I think about our forays now into telepractice as a way to keep clinical hours for students. That's something we've been talking about for such a long time, but really hadn't had to pursue it with such um, depth as we are now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Online anatomy, things that you know, we, we know are, are good for learners, but we had access to cadavers and prosections before. Uh-huh. And so why invest in a, a new technology? And now we're doing it very, very quickly. So what... I think would be helpful for our listeners is if we could talk about three tips for, because I think a big pain point for health professions educators right now is being asked to take their online in, I mean, sorry, their in-person courses online and converting all that to an online environment, which we all know is very different and it hits a, a very real source of discomfort in uh, educators. So I am eager to hear, Peter, what your tips would be for those being asked um, in an immediate sense to convert their in-person courses to online environments. The first place where 
we've begun, and I include our team of instructional designers, technologists, librarians who've been working with faculty to make this pivot, is to think about synchronous and asynchronous. Because the way this pandemic hit, it was towards the middle of a semester. Mm -hmm. And so the first goal was salvaging that term, making sure all the courses completed and students garnered the necessary credits. And that often meant just continuing what you had been doing and switching it to a Zoom platform or Adobe or using the learning management system, but keeping the same hours, the same assignments, because it was too late to change anything. Now, we're, we're talking middle of April, and the focus is shifting to summer, which will be online from the start. And uh -huh. now faculty have a luxury, <laughs> brief luxury of thinking about, okay, how do I conceptualize an entire course online, not just continuing one out in this case of an emergency, and realizing or having our faculty realize it can't just be Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 10 to noon on Zoom, uh -huh. because that's what you were going to do in the classroom. Right. So I, I think um, I have to just say that I feel very fortunate to be part of IHP in terms of I, I feel like we are so far along in this hybridization of online and in-person courses. And I've learned a lot working with IHP, doing the online courses. Um, I know our health professions education courses are mainly online. We do have some um, times in the, in the curricula where you would come to Boston and be in person. And, um, you know, as people move to online environments, I think this term, that, the terms that you're bringing up people are now becoming familiar with. And for those unfamiliar with them, I thought maybe I should unpack what they are. So um, this term, these terms of synchronous and asynchronous. And um, so synchronous is scheduled time, whether it's uh, together in an online platform like Zoom um, or uh, in person. So that would, that would be synchronous, but from the online standpoint, it would be Zoom um, or, you know, scheduled time where everybody's on a certain platform together. Mm -hmm. The asynchronous is work that people can do alone on their own time. And I think you're hitting on something that um, is, is something like one of those should haves, like we should have done this a long time ago. And I think a lot of educators have been moving toward this. The first, to me, the first step in converting your in-person courses to an online environment is to list the things um, like lectures, things that are not interactive. And once you list those things, to me, it's like, hey, congratulations, you've just identified a way to improve the quality of your course because teaching and learning has changed in terms of studying adult engagement, whether it is in-person or online. And, um, you know, the fact that your, your time is valuable and you're using your time to lecture, things that they could do offline on their own. Um, you've identified things that could be moved to recordings or videos, um, things that won't require the in-person time. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think you're saying you should therefore record yourself lecturing for three hours and post <laughs> right. it on the right, learning right, management right. system. Because that's, I mean, that would be uh, you know, another principle online is the, the chunking element. But oh, let, yeah. let me finish. I, I appreciate your, your distinguishing between synchronous and asynchronous because when 
our learners are at their homes, whether this is an unforeseen pivot or a fully online class that that was intended, they're in different time zones. They have different work commitments. I know here in Boston, we have a number of our pre-licensure students who are working nearly full-time in some of the field hospitals to give care to COVID patients and recovering COVID patients. And we want them to do that. And they may be working on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 11 when your class was scheduled. And so minimizing the amount of required times touch points allows them to maintain their, their clinical learning uh, while also being respectful of their different time zones and, and family commitments. Uh, so there's that part. And as you pointed out, why not re, uh, reserve the in-person, I'm sorry, the, the live face-to-face -face virtual portion for things that really benefit from having people together at the same mm -hmm. time? You know, you're highlighting something that, um, you know, has occurred to me as I've taught healthcare. So most of my students in the courses that I'm teaching are healthcare providers. And I feel like healthcare educators have this additional difficulty um, in that most of our students, uh, especially if you're at the graduate level, are either practicing or volunteering. They're doing things in the clinical setting and being pulled into actual frontline care in the pandemic. And you have to worry about not only delivering education or prov I shouldn't say delivering, but providing education and educational opportunities, but also what is an appropriate load, especially for those people who are working frontline. I know for the course that I'm teaching right now, um, I've had to completely develop a whole different track for those frontliners. Um, that's essentially cliff notes of the course because mm. just for them to be able to catch up and I don't want to add to their, you know, uh, stress levels because it's already a high stress time. Yeah. And you wonder, m maybe after the surge has crested, is there an opportunity for those frontline people to bring their experiences into the learning environment and mm -hmm. reflect on them and build? Maybe, like I say, not now as they're in the thick of it. Uh, but I really appreciate the the flexibility that you're highlighting. I don't know if this is a subset of tip one or a separate one, but really being compassionate and understanding. And I was a little surprised in my sort of first entrance into graduate health professions education. Some programs still have attendance policies. And if you're sick, you need to produce a note. And I really feel these are adult learners and uh, we want to treat them as such and if there's any time to be compassionate and understanding it's now and uh, not requiring too many hurdles for people to jump through recognizing they're the best judges of their readiness to learn and if they're telling you either through their absence or through their disengagement then let, let them take the time you know, that is so interesting because, um, you know, I, I've just being at home and, you know, having kids at home who are um, doing some sort of online um, courses and uh, remote learning and hearing other, you know, teachers in, in the K through 12 um, realm, they, 
you know, one of the complaints I'm getting from my friends who are teachers is that students aren't showing up to their online courses. And I think that that's interesting because, you know, and I'm juxtaposing this with, I guess, adult learning, um, but actually tying them together, pedagogy and andragogy here, in that, um, to me, that's a good, like, kind of mini uh, self-assessment that maybe you're not creating engaging enough material. Um, because I have realized, you know, part of my work with Josiah Macy Jr. Foundation over the last three years is creating a virtual environment and studying how um, adults engage in their own learning through online uh, material or platforms. And it's different. It's not the same as in person. Um, meaning, you know, one thing that we looked at were the recorded videos, the recorded lectures. They do, in fact, I mean, there's a lot of research on this, um, but they, you know, from our study, they do, in fact, um, tune out after seven minutes. They, the attrition <laughs> rate, yeah, they're just gone. Oh, and you know, it was really interesting. I had this one lecture, and for some reason, I had a picture of food. And in, in my slides that I was lecturing and the attrition rate, like just in, increased, like people just left the video when the food, <laughs> like, I don't know if people like went to their refrigerator, <laughs> but you have to think of those things. Cause you know, it's not going to be in like what you would do in person that you could do a 15 minute lecture. You're going to have, you're going to have to find ways to keep people engaged and contain it in one small short video. Well, I'm sure you're the same way if people send you a, a, a link to a YouTube video and you, you click on it and it takes a second to load. And the first thing you see is the amount of time the video is. And if it's like four minutes, <laughs> yes. they want me to watch a four minute video. I don't care how uplifting it is <laughs> or what, how cute the cats are in it. I don't right. have four minutes. Right, right. And I think, you know, it, it, that was a different study in that there was no dire need for people to change. I think in today's world, people are much more forgiving, uh, forgiving during this pandemic. Like they know that, that um, you know, whatever material you put out there, that it's, it's new, it's not um, I guess what I'm trying to say is for those educators out there that are scared to get started, um, you know, imperfect is better than, uh, you know, not doing it at all. Mm -hmm. And I put that in the category of things that we should take away from this crisis and continue to implement. I, you know, I wouldn't want us to go back to the hard edged zero tolerance and I understand healthcare education does have higher stakes than some other forms of learning. And yet there's still people and you want them to be empathetic and humanistic with the patients and clients they work with. So I've never really bought into that. No, you have to be tough and uh, unrelenting and the licensure exam doesn't have room for any uh, wiggle room. Uh, that doesn't, strike me as, as the way to produce the, the clinicians that, we're, that we would like to, to have as in our own lives. Yeah. Well, especially in today's world with technology, um, you, know, knowing, you know, back in the day, having immediate recall of interventions or, you know, algorithms was much more important. Today, people have ways, uh, are much more resourceful. So I think the skill of being resourceful is 
um, often as important as as having that knowledge and and um, and so focusing on knowing and you know the rigor of the knowledge and the algorithms versus being able to deal with pressure um, being able to communicate when you don't know something is to me much it, it's realistic in practice today well that's if, if we talked about synchronous versus asynchronous as one tip and this sort of flexibility and compassion is another I think that leads me to a third related point which is uh, presence in the online environment because mm -hmm. you can't be listening and understanding if you're not there. And there are some, I think that's probably why faculty instantly turn to, well, we've got to have the three hour Zoom meeting because then it's clear that I'm in the class, I'm helping set the tone. Uh, and there are other ways to do that in an asynchronous way and through discussion boards through video greetings, uh, through uh, messages, uh, individual messages to students, just let them know that you're there and that you're still guiding and giving feedback on their performance. I agree with you. I think uh, one of the notions around online education that's existed for decades is that you can't achieve the high touch feel that you would um, in an in-person setting. And while, you know, I don't think online completely replaces the in-person, you can absolutely create a high-touch environment through these things that you're talking about. And it's the responsiveness, the presence. Um, there's different ways to do it, you know, and I think with the online environment, communicating often, like almost over-communicating is important. Um, with the learner, because if they're doing things on their own, they, you know, you don't, the last thing you want is them frustrated with whatever material you have. Um, but also, you know, making, checking in, making sure they're okay with the material. Like, you know, in, in the classroom setting, you can see when material doesn't make sense to someone or if something you said doesn't make sense in the online environment, the need for the learners to meet you halfway is even more so. Like, they need to let you know when things aren't making sense. And so even just previewing your courses with that, like, hey, we're in this online environment. Um, I can't see your nonverbals. And so if things aren't making sense, please reach out to me and just constantly giving them the opportunity to reach out through you, to you through constant communication is, is a way that you can create that high touch environment. Yeah, and that is one thing that we hear as administrators in higher education, students are very cost conscious and they see a tuition bill, which in their mind was attached to a certain set of learning experiences that are now being altered. And the one thing that's really gonna make them howl <laughs> is if the education they receive is, oh, here's the book, here's the material, just do it, teach yourself, and we'll give you a test at the end of the semester. And I, I think that's where, at least now, some of the student re reaction is anticipating that type of online learning as mm -hmm. being less, lesser quality. And it's incumbent on all of us educators to say, no, we're still going to be there bringing our expertise, giving you our feedback, and you'll be achieving the same outcomes, the same objectives as if this had been face-to-face. 
Um, and, and one last thing that I think is kind of a precursor to actually being able to do all of these things is getting over our own discomfort. I think that's one thing that is difficult for educators. Um, often there's a delay of, you know, um, I'm working on it next week. I'll send you, you know, a, a higher quality product and, and we just get really, um, we get in the way of ourselves uh, when we feel uncomfortable. And I think in this time, we have to find ways to live in this area of discomfort um, because to get better at things, you have to practice. And so just starting it out, just, you know, kind of doing it, implementing something, asking for feedback from the students, what could I do to make this better? They're much more forgiving, forgiving during this time, um, knowing that it wasn't the initial intent and that you're doing your best. Um, and so the more you practice, the more you'll get comfortable with it. Uh, and, but that immediate discomfort, it's there, it's going to be there. And the only way to get over it is to really just practice it. Well, and go back to your bedrock principles. This is another way that the crisis has forced us to revalorize our, our key principles is that you have to start with what is the basic objective of this course? What am I trying to get the learners to achieve? And then from that flows a different work pattern, a different means of assessment, certainly, but if you go back to that basic, that'll help guide you through some of the discomfort and just remind you, because we've been working with faculty through some of their pivot. And when you start with that question, like what is the basic outcome for this course? Some of them really have to pause because to there, no, the course is the three hour lecture. The course is this clinical component. So yes, yes, yes. No, those are the activities. Uh -huh. What's the objective? And then, something else, you'll have to draw a different diagram about how to get there, but remind yourself, what at base are you trying to achieve? Uh-huh. And, and I also, I think from an online environment, just tagging onto what you're saying here, it, um, going to the basics of, of your own learning too. I mean, for example, I, I call it practice what you preach. Um, if, you're using platforms that you yourself don't want to touch. Don't use it because your learners are probably the same. If you're asking your learners to watch a video uh, that maybe you found on the internet and you watched it and you, after four minutes, shut it off, don't use that one <laughs> because you know what you're going to, what you find interesting um, and what you find addictive, if you will, or engaging, um, your learners will too. And so, really practice whatever whatever you're asking your students to do, practice that platform, practice those materials, do it yourself, see if you like it. I think we've gone over the three tips. <laughs> I limit. think so too. All right, so we're gonna have to pick top <laughs> All right, three. So, What's your top so three? So I've heard, um, I think presence has to be in there when you're thinking about moving online, that presence is so easy to achieve when you're standing in front of a classroom. That doesn't mean you're engaging, but at uh -huh. least learners know there's someone up there with some direction. Uh, and so thinking about how do you recreate that 
when you don't have the advantage of a physical space. Yes. And, and just, I would say as well, I, I agree with you, that should be one of the top three things. And I think to be able to do that, there's so many online resources right now, people giving tips on how to move things online. They can talk about how to be more present. You mentioned a few. Um, there are others out there. And to just make a list of those methods and ways and see which one works for you. Or I shouldn't say one, because there should be multiple <laughs> ways within your education. So, you know, top three, if you will, ways that work for you. I, I heard a message about flexibility, which could be a, a, an all-encompassing tip for this idea of being forgiving, of not trying to recreate exactly what you had in your face-to-face -face version of stripping out things that maybe uh, don't translate as well or just people's attention span, as you mentioned, is, is going to be different in this environment. And so al allowing yourself to move things around and probably cut a lot of things out. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. I, I think that should definitely be one of the top three. Um, and I think it's also flexibility of expectations. You know, don't expect that the online environment is going to be anywhere the same as in-person environments. I mean, in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. And, and I just want to add in that it's funny because when it comes to lectures, people think, oh, so different online. Actually, it's not very different than in-person. Um, it's just that in-person people are really good at faking that they're paying attention. They could <laughs> actually be tuning out and you just don't realize it. It's just an old school way of teaching that we've just had ingrained for many, many, many centuries, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ne never take the teaching advice of standing in the back of the room. Then you'll see what's really on your student screens. That <laughs> there you go. Supposedly note taking. <laughs> I guess number three, I, I want to capture what you said about practice what you preach, back to basics, really sort of rooting yourself and uh -huh. the learning contract in what what works for you and what is the, the core that you're trying to achieve with this class or activity. And I can agree to that. And I'm just going to tie in um, why I would agree to it is one of the basics is being learner-centered. And I think, um, you know, and going back to, you know, basic principles of education, uh, you know, what works for the learner. And many times for, I'm just gonna give you a quick example, my uh, kids school system, they didn't have any kind of online remote learning for the first two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and the email we got from the system was, um, well, we're working on something. And when we post it, we want it to be quality. And that to me just spoke volumes of I'm focused on myself. I'm not comfortable with, with online education. <laughs> I'm not at all thinking about my learners. Um, not to mention the <laughs> expectations when it finally did arrive. Was it a Disney production? <laughs> so yeah, being in touch with the basics and uh, finding ways to overcome it. Yeah. And that's how we're going to get through this and how we're going to take something away that's enduring because knock on every surface you have around you, this won't always be the environment in which we're educating. But if there are things we can extract from it and continue, then we'll have found something, uh, a silver lining from it. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, uh, you know, as you work on these three tips, um, 
just reframing that it's an opportunity, not, you know, a punishment of a pandemic, but an opportunity to just revisit the way you, you think as an educator, the, the way you learn um, and uh, to grow yourself in this time, work on, work on yourself as an educator um, so that at the end of it, you, you are with the century, with the future generations. You've, you've learned the skills during this time frame um, to be able to teach the way we can be teaching in the future. So how are your kids online learning now <laughs> it's remote learning it's exactly the traditional um it, it's been a little bit disappointing um that you had mentioned they give them things to read and basically are asking them to teach themselves they do have virtual mm -hmm. office hours which the kids are not you know engaging in in fact i think um my kids are learning more from uh their it's, my son is a jazz pianist and so he takes jazz lessons piano and to me it's like wow there is nothing more difficult than moving piano lessons to an <laughs> online environment like and his teacher has just been so wonderful uh being able to do that and they've just gotten creative with connecting um speakers and you know through online it's just it's been fascinating and i just keep thinking oh i wish that uh their school mm. um faculty or you know teachers could see how someone who teaches piano is doing it online yeah there is almost i mean i've heard examples of how do you teach dance online how do you teach psychomotor skills online and you think yeah how do they and then there's an example of someone who's doing it right. and we have online chemistry courses that you can if you have time in advance, you can send the kit to the learner's home and they can brew it up in their kitchen. Or if not, you can record someone performing the experiment and then hand the data to the students to analyze. So I'm, I'm not always sympathetic to, well, my topic doesn't lend itself to online learning. Well, I think the future of healthcare is actually telemedicine and tell, I shouldn't they should change that word from telemedicine, telehealth. Um, and I think, uh, and, and some people refer to it as telehealth. And so maybe now is the time to do a rotation on telehealth and have the students engage in telehealth because they're going to need to know how to do that in the future anyway. Yeah, I was speaking to a, a physician at the VA whose entire practice has been turned to telehealth. And he said, his patients who come from a very large catchment area and have all sorts of comorbidities and don't always like to drive and park just for a, a checkup, uh, they're not going to want to go back. They <laughs> love the convenience of it. Yep. Yeah. And he gets to like peer into their homes, which tells you something about their living conditions and the environment and how that affects their health. That's more information for the provider than you had before. Yeah, so I think get creative, go back to the basics and get creative. It's definitely um, a good tip. Yep. All right. And oh, and I should say on that note of telehealth for our uh, health professions educators, um, you know, the whole world of simulation is changing. It's, it's evolving. And one is virtual simulations. Um, and two, 
take this time to learn that and start using that uh, because it will be in your future in education. So I, I, so if we could all reframe this as an opportunity to learn and grow ourselves as educators, I think uh, we'll be in a better place after this pandemic. I'll see you there. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Sure. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast, What's Your Delta? MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your hosts, Janice Palaganis and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.